0: Oh, uh we are on a journey together where we are going through the book of Mark and uh each week as we move toward Easter and just uh really trying the best we can to experience uh Jesus in a very real way uh, and experience his life and ministry in a in the in a real way and asking two questions really the first question is asking who is Jesus who do we say he is, or who do you say he is? And we've seen lots of different answers to that question. Healer, uh, uh, crazy man, uh, rabbi, teacher, prophet, uh, possessed by Satan. Um, Some said, uh, Peter last week said the Messiah, the anointed one. But really, uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter what other people, who other people identify Jesus uh, as or who he is, but it, it matters who you identify Jesus as. And then the second question is, what does it mean in the 21st century to follow Jesus? What does it mean for a business person or a college student or a doctor or a a professor um, to follow this Jesus? So that's the journey uh, that we are on and we're going to be continuing today. Just a quick note. Somebody mentioned to me that the Going Deep uh, that's written each week on the back of your fridge fold is actually last week's. Um, the good news for me is I know at least one person in our church is doing the going deeper. Uh, uh, we, if if your growth group, if you're in a growth group doing that, or, or that's uh, been important to you in your journey, it is written, uh, and we'll just uh, we'll put it up online. Um, or email it out or uh, on the e-news or something like that. We'll, we'll make sure that it's available for you. So we're going to be in chapter 9 today, so you may want to open up your Bibles. And apparently, opening up your Bibles is an important thing because in the first gathering, I had the disciples trying to cast out the Holy Spirit and not an evil spirit. So you got to watch me. I'm making things up up here, so, uh, so definitely have your Bibles open at Mark chapter 9, and I'll do my best to uh, tell the story as, as it happened and not how somehow my mind is unfolding. Uh, so last week, if you remember, Jesus, uh, actually the past two weeks, Jesus is kind of changing his ministry from this public healing and teaching ministry where he's collecting crowds to... Uh, really changing uh, and really uh, focusing on his disciples and and making sure that they understand who he is and why he came. And uh, also that the past two healings that he's done, he's, he's actually taken the person and taken them out of the public arena and dealt with them on a real intimate person. Level And uh, so we're going to see a little bit of mixture of, of that again in this transitional period uh, in Jesus' ministry as he goes toward uh, his purpose of dying on the cross for our sins and then raising again. So uh, in, in verse 2, Mark tells us that six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Now, a lot of times we just read over things like this, you know, Peter, James, and John get to go to a, a high mountain. Well, we got to remember that, you know what, that he has 12 disciples, so by him taking Peter, James, and John, that means that there's nine other guys who don't, don't get to be with Jesus. Jesus is going to do something really cool. He's going up this mountain and, and this is a, a vis, a visual, uh, symbolic thing of, of going up the mountain it, throughout the Bible that Mark is letting us know that when somebody goes up into a mountain that there's going to be a God experience. And so you gotta, you know, think, oh my gosh, you know, Jesus, is his pick, Peter, James, and John, and he's going to have this mountaintop experience, this encounter with God. But you got these other nine guys who didn't get to go. And just kind of their feelings about that. And And, you know, there's been other times where Jesus just took these three and they were part of special healings and things like that. And I think that this is so important in scripture because so often especially in the in the days of Facebook and and things like that that you know there's this this level of electronic intimacy that we have with people you know you look at the news feeds and you learn all sorts of things about people um and and it start you start forgetting that there's there's levels of intimacy that 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 God has actually set us up in a certain way. In fact, there there is a a social kind of law that the average person uh, can only have, uh, really a hundred and fifty acquaintances that they can. They can, you know, synthesize and digest and and know who those people are. Just know them, not intimately, but just be able to recognize them and and things like that. So those of us, you know, or those of you who have like a thousand friends on Facebook, you know, or something like that, or five thousand, I think, is the limit. Uh, that that you know what you're you're not you're not really in a, in a relationship with them. That you have some sort of loose connection with them, but but there's, there's something lacking there. And I, I love it when Jesus and God reminds us of these concentric circles of intimacy. And here we have Jesus, and he has his three people inside of the 12 people, who, which who are inside of the 72, the 144, and then everybody else. And him taking a special time and care to invest in, in these three special relationships. You know, I've had people uh, come up to me and just, and and say things like, wow, you know, you know so many different people, and and, you know, you go somewhere, and somebody will, you know, it seems like everybody, you know, every time that somebody will come up and say hi, and I'm sure that you know people like that, uh, that it seems like they don 't know any strangers wherever they go you know they, they've they 've met somebody or or somebody's connected with them or or things like that and I think a lot of times uh, i mean I even notice that about people, and I think that well you know wouldn't that be amazing to like wherever you go know somebody and and things like that uh, but the truth is that uh, when talking with people who who have that gift and, and things like that, that a lot of times that they're missing these intimate relationships that you may have. In fact, I've, I've told people who've been kind of jealous of, of that gift, saying, you know what, do you have like one friend? Do you have one friend that you can be real with, totally transparent, that you could tell them anything and they wouldn't turn their back on you? And usually, you know, it's like, yeah, I think I, I have at least one of those friends. And I believe if you, if you can count one person, one other person on this planet beside yourself that you can connect with on a really real level like that, that you are way beyond what a lot of people are. Because we live in a very public, you know, kind of Facebook world. But, you know, and, but we're also have become increasingly just lonely. And I want to challenge you that, that just to really keep that in your mind that, you know, we ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And I'm not saying it's bad to be on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and, and I, you know, there's a lot of great things about it, but never thinking, oh, you know what? I have... 500 friends, so I'm, I'm doing this life well. That, that really saying, okay, who, who are the people who are going to challenge me and, and speak into my life? Who are the people, when I go sideways and I make a mistake, who are going to take the relational risk to speak truth into my life? Maybe instead of trying our hardest to collect our Facebook friends maybe that it's it's better to follow what Jesus is doing here and making sure that our inner circle is solid and never break down that inner circle at the expense of or have public ministry or public persona at the expense of these intimate relationships because ultimately when when 499 people, if you have 500 friends, unfriend you. That, that that one person is going to be the most important person. You'll, you'll realize that that's one of the most important people in your life. So, once again, Jesus is modeling this. As these men watched Peter, James, and John, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Now, granted, this is 2,000 years ago, uh, before OxyClean and all that. But even then, probably even cleaner and brighter than that. Then, verse 4, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Something's going on here. That, that actually we're, we're starting to be able to look at our list, and if we believe the Bible, if we believe the account of, of Mark and what he's telling us here, that you know these people who are saying, oh, maybe Jesus is Elijah, or maybe Jesus is one of the prophets of old, like Moses, that if we had a, a list, we could actually cross these two people off. That list, that Jesus is not Elijah, he's not a prophet of old like Moses, that, that he's somebody else, because here they are in the presence of Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I, I I love this. I just it's just you know you have this picture. It's like Jesus wants to take you up to the mountain, go camping or something. You're like cool, and you know you get up there and you know you're roasting your marshmallows or or whatever. And 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 suddenly Jesus turns this like super white, you know, just glowing split figure and Elijah and Moses show up and there must have been just this 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 awkward absolutely holy divine space this this moment of time where 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 just life stopped And I just imagine the pressure on the three guys there, Peter, James, and John, looking at them. It must must have been terrifying, not only just to see that happening, but just knowing that they're in the presence of something that is so holy and so pure and that they have the opportunity to experience it. And the only thing that I can think of that, that even comes close is, I don't know, if you've uh, ever been in a, in a worship gathering where where uh, they make room that, like a time of silence, like they just close everything off and, and it's just it's like, hey, just you and God and just time to think. I don't know about you, but times like that cause me a lot of anxiety. because And I think it's because... Our lives are so full. Like in the 21st century, we're constantly bombarded with, you know, radio or TV or interaction with people. You know, we have our, our Blackberries or our iPhones, and, you know, we're got instant messaging and, and, uh, texting and phone calls and, and all of these kind of things that we are constantly bombarded with, with just, just communication and activity. And if we're ever put in a place where there's a set amount of time that is holy, that is set aside for God's purpose, that that it can be terrifying. Why? Because we realize that, you know what, maybe my life has become so noisy and, and when that noise is taken away, that I actually start to hear what's really going on in my heart. So Peter is absolutely terrified and he's all, and the Greek is actually, uh, let me set up three tents, one for you, Jesus, Moses, and, and one for Elijah. And it just kind of reminds me of that adage, it's, it's, it's better to keep quiet and have everybody think you're a fool instead of open your mouth and confirm it. And so poor Peter's here, he's terrified, he does, you know, he's in this holy space and he just can't take it anymore, so he blurts out... That and then, after that, here's the answer. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Now, if you believe scripture, that our list just got a lot smaller that we have to cross off a whole lot of things off our list because here we have God coming once again and saying, "Hey, not a prophet old, not primarily a healer or or a rabbi or any of these things, but yes, indeed, he is the my son, the very son of God." And When you think about this transfiguration, this transfiguration is actually revealing the deity of Jesus. And the reason that that Moses and Elijah are there, this this is why. Moses represents the Old Testament law that the Israelites were under. That this was the way that they, by obeying the law, this is how they became close to God. So Moses is there. then you have Elijah there, and Elijah is there because he is confirming that this Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, so they're sitting there and they are confirming this this visual you know up in the mountain experience with God, God saying, "This is my son and Jesus is being flanked by Elijah and Moses saying, this is the fulfillment of the law and of the prophecy. And then he goes on and he says, God says, listen to him. That's like such such important three words there. Listen to him. One thing that I I do with my kids is I make sure when I'm speaking to them, especially in a correction type time, that that they are listening to me and they're not just merely hearing me. There's a huge difference between hearing and listening. And I I'll talk to Boo Bear or Madison and and I'm I'm like, hey, you know wah, 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 you know, what? I'm sure that's what it sounds like to them. And, you know, going on, and, and I will pause and I'll say, stop what you're doing. Put your focus on me. Look me in the eyes. And listen to the words that I am saying to you. I am giving you instruction. And not just instruction for instruction's sake, but you know what? When I do that, I'm looking at my children And I'm saying, you know what? You are not currently experiencing the life that God has envisioned for you. You are missing out on the blessings that God has in store for you. And if you just listen, or if you just are hearing my words, but you are not focusing and listening to them, that you are on a path that is going to end up nowhere. And God, our Heavenly Father right here, He's, He's telling us, the doctors, the lawyers, the, the students, the, the business people, the nurses, the, whatever you do as a profession, that God is saying, look, don't merely hear me but listen to my instruction. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what He has to say. Because if we choose not to listen, that we are going to miss out on the rich and satisfying life. That's not my words. These are Jesus' words. The rich and satisfying life. That God has envisioned. And then suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. What, what's the significance behind this? Once again, you have Jesus, you have Moses who represents the law, you have Elijah who represents the prophecy, and, and they, they disappear. And it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. You see, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And at this mountaintop experience, we get this visual of Jesus fulfilling the law and Moses fades away. And then you also have this, this visual of Elijah who represents the prophets and the prophecies, and He fades away. And that Peter, James, and John are sitting there and and realizing that there is a new covenant that is being made with God and the people of earth. As they went back down the mountain, He told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So, they kept it. They kept it, it to themselves, and they often asked each other what it meant, what he meant by rising from the dead. Isn't that funny? Funny to me. It's like Jesus, is like, don't tell anybody, you know, and don't do until I rise from the dead. And they they have no clue what he's talking about. They don't. You see, I think so many times we look at the Bible and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus rising from the dead, you know, whatever. You know that that kind of kind of thing. They had no reference point. When people died, just like they died today, two thousand years ago, they stayed dead. They did not raise from the dead three days later. So Jesus is sitting here talking about you, you know, blah blah blah. I'm going to raise from the dead in three days. They're just like yeah, whatever, Jesus. I mean, we don't know what you're talking about here. And they would ask themselves, the Scripture would say, they would talk amongst themselves and go, what, what's Jesus talking about? We don't get it. Is this some kind of metaphor? Is what? What, what is He talking about? And it wasn't going to be until later that this was going to be revealed to them. Then, In verse 12, Jesus just kind of wraps everything up and He responds, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet, why do the Scriptures say the Son of Man must suffer greatly and to be treated with utter contempt? He's letting them know. Once again, revealing, not only am I going to die and be raised three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead, but also, I want to prepare you three guys who are in my inner circle. When everything goes sideways, when everything goes crazy, I under—I know that you don't understand me right now, but I want you to let you know that the Scripture says, and I am fulfilling this Scripture, that I am going to suffer greatly, that you are going to witness me die a horrific death. But don't worry, I'm going to raise again. And he's talking about this and just saying, look, I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the Scripture predicted. He's going through and saying, look, this has happened. In fact, he means John the Baptist who filled the role of Elijah, that this had already happened. When they returned to the other disciples, remember the other nine guys who didn't get to go on the mountaintop experience, the camping trip? Well, what were they doing? Well, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of the law were arguing with them. Again, again, the religious rulers of the day are arguing with these other nine guys. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet Him. What is this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. You know, these other nine guys, you just you got to put yourself in their place that Peter, James, and John get to go be with Jesus. And they're like, well, okay. And some people probably recognized them and, like, and knew that, you know, remember previously, Jesus had sent them out and gave them the power. To, to cast spirits, evil spirits and demons out of people to heal people. So they're sitting there and they're probably thinking, hey, we've done it before. We can do it again. You know, people coming up and, to them and saying, look, we know that you were with Jesus. We know what you've done before. Here, can you do it? And they tried and they failed. They tried and they I think so many times that we try to do things in our on our own power. And maybe sometimes you know, previously we've been able to do something and God has, has put his his supernatural power into a circumstance that we're facing and, and comes through for us. And sometimes we might just get confused. The next time that comes around and going, well, it happened before. Maybe I don't need to rely so much on God because I know what it's like. And we may not articulate it this way, but we start putting our faith in ourselves versus the faith in the one who gave us the power in the first place. They brought the boy to Jesus, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. If you can. Jesus responds, What do you mean, if? What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, he Says anything is possible if a person believes. The Father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I identify with this so much. Make the declaration. I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe that that, you know, he, that he can move mountains, that he can heal the sick, that he can do all of these things. I believe. But help me with my unbelief. You know, when my family and several friends. We all moved out from Los Angeles to partner with uh, 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 some folks here in Tallahassee to to plant a church, which we get to celebrate uh, next week, or next, yeah, next week, that it was six years ago, that... We had this vision that we could have a place where faith, authenticity and emerging culture meet, a place where people would be made and matured and mobilized into fully devoted followers of christ and and we had all this faith that God was in it, and we were going to do it, and it was so exciting and And I remember after a- uh you know a couple of months into it, we were a week away from extinction financially. we had Gone through all the money, and and at that time, you know, I um, there wasn't a lot of people, so I, you know, was the you know lead pastor, the chief janitor, the finance guy. You know, it was like, uh, you know, I sat on just about every single team. And I remember uh, the person who led the finance team at that time. We went out went out to lunch. And he looked at me. And he said, "Mark, we do not have a three thousand dollar offering this Sunday. That basically, the long and the short, you know, the 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 vision is not going to be able to be financed. That we're going to have to make choices. That we're going to have to stop doing this and this and this and and I remember we prayed." at that table, and we were walking across the parking lot. I said, hey, let's just check the, check the mailbox. And, you know, just going through and opening up letters and opened up one of the, one of the letters and, and I, I look in and I smile and, and he's like, what, what is it? What is it? I said, I think God's telling us it's going to be okay. $3,000? No. <laughs> $100. You know, God, I believe. But help me with my unbelief. I believe that God was going to come through. I didn't believe that God had called all of us here and the people who were already here to partner, put all of our our effort and our time and and invest in this thing for it only to exist for a few months. That Sunday night, I received a a call from the finance guy. He said, Mark, you sitting down? No, I'm not sitting down, tell me. (laughs) You should sit down. Just tell me. <laughs> I think you should say, just tell me. I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm standing. He's like, and I don't remember the exact, but it was, it was pretty much just exactly what we needed. In fact, I think it, if I remember correctly, it was like $16 more, and I made some comment about spending that $16 like a drunken sailor or something. But... uh his wisdom said that maybe we should sit on that $16 for next week, and I remember there, and I'm like, I believed, and but I didn't believe. I needed God to help me with my unbelief. Now I'm I'm sharing you a couple of stories that a lot of people might misinterpret, but but I just I this is real to me. This is very real to me, and this is my journey through this. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I told you there was two times that this church was on the brink of financial disaster. There was a second time second time flash you know flash forward several years. three thousand dollars is no longer you know our weekly need in fact we were so far behind budget that that we were 20 something thousand dollars behind didn't know how we we were coming up on on the the eve of having to make a decision of do we pay our rent do we you know do we want water or do we want lights do we want to be able to pay the staff there just wasn't the money there to do everything that needed to you know, forward our church. Not to mention that we always, the first checks that we write are to, you know, Guatemala and and now to Benin and things like that. You know, that's our, you know, our church is giving out to be the tangible hand of Christ. So, So looking at God, we believe that you have called us to do this. We believe that you have called us to make mature and mobilized, fully devoted followers of Christ, to be a place in Tallahassee that that where faith, authenticity, emerging culture meet, we believe this. But help us, me, with my unbelief. And I did something, and I'm really, I'm actually not proud of it. I talked to Shane and I said, Look, looks like we're just gonna. Just going to have to write a check out of savings to to cover the shortfall. Now, that could be interpreted, oh, I'm dedicated or I have faith. That's not where it was coming from. It was coming from, I've cast out demons before. I can do it again and if... That means I have to write the check to make this place continue. That's what I'm going to do. It was coming from a, that ugly of a place. And I was just sitting there and I was just just praying and God, I was just like, God, you know what? Obviously, you don't have it and I'm going to have to take the reins here. And I remember just just really struggling through this and just... This kind of watershed moment, and there was a knock at my door, and a couple that goes to this church handed me an envelope and said, We just felt that God wanted us to do this and I thanked them and it, and Giving the, the relationship with giving and everything is still very strange for me coming from the marketplace, being a giver, uh, uh, it, it you know it's still the the idea you know when people give me checks personally it it's 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 a difficult thing and God's working working in that in that area of my life. So they wanted me, you know, to look at it, and I and I looked at it, and I'm like, "Where did this number come from?" And they're like, "God just blessed us, and we wanted to port it through." Check was for twenty six thousand dollars. I didn't even know people had that much money. And I mean, it, it was what was needed, and and when they left the house. I went and I fell on my knees literally. And I said, "God, I will never doubt you again." In the area of finances. You have proven yourself time and time again. So faithful. And I need your forgiveness. And I believed, and now you have helped me. You've answered this prayer. You've helped me with my unbelief. And there's still areas like that in my life, I've got to tell you. I mean, I'm far from there. And I'm sure that there's areas like that in, in your life. And I think it's perfectly fine to go to God and say, I believe, but help me in this unbelief. I read stuff that you do in the Bible and I believe, but I don't believe it could happen in my life and I need you to help me in that unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers were growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd, and people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. I love this healing. Because this healing almost killed the kid. So often, and I have seen this in my own life and I've seen it in other people's lives, that we have an adversity or brokenness or pain or anxiety or depression or financial trouble or or an illness or something like that or, or addiction. And we know that Jesus can heal us, but we know that the healing, how did he put it? Violent the healing here was violent and it almost killed him. In fact, it looked like he killed him and sometimes when we have these deep-rooted issues in our life that the healing process can be as bad or worse than the addiction itself and this is what I believe. That, that We know that instinctually. And that's why many times we choose not to be healed of these things. We know healing is available. But the path to healing is so frightening to us that we stay in our pain. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with His disciples, they asked Him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can only be cast out by prayer. What kind? The kind that when we think we can do it on our own. A few weeks ago, Pastor Eric said this about prayer, and I just wanted to quote him. Every time we pray, it is an admission that we do not have the power within ourselves to fulfill what God has called us to do. Every time we pray, it is an admission that we do not have the power within ourselves to fulfill what God has called us to do. Prayer unlocks our faith. And the reason the disciples could not heal, because they, maybe they didn't articulate this out loud, but they, deep in their spirit, felt that they could do it without the power of God. And maybe they thought all the power was in the name of Jesus and not the person of Jesus. And this is something that, that we need to do as a discipline in, in our life. And this is why prayer is so important. It's that daily, hourly, you know, every minute admission. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing constantly admit that we cannot do the things that God has called us to do in our own power because if we could do it in our own power it's not from God it's from us as i just kind of pull back and and i and i look at this and i I look at the, the the whole package of 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 Jesus showing he's the divinity and 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 shedding off of of the burden of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecies and and Jesus reminding the disciples once again that, hey, something is larger than going on than what you think. And my name isn't a magic trick or a spell or something like that. And that the power is not in the knowledge of my name, but the power is in the relationship with the living God. And when you allow His power to be your power, then you'll be able to experience amazing things. You guys pray with me? Dear Lord, <laughs> look at this uh, scripture and it, it's challenging and, and uh, so many times we think we believe and maybe it's an intellectual belief or maybe even an emotional belief, but it's not a deep spiritual del- belief believing that you will resource the things that you have called us to do and right here right today God we we declare as a as a local expression of worship to you we declare as your as a local church that we believe but to help us in our unbelief show your power to us let us Not have just an intellectual knowledge or emotional knowledge, but, but a holistic knowledge that you are indeed faithful. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.